We have been talking about Christians, like anybody else, like to have great comfort. And there's nothing wrong with comfort. Matter of fact, that's even biblical. But we have our comfort zones. And when God takes us out of the comfort zone, it makes it very uncomfortable sometimes, right? And so we like to stay in those little zones. But God doesn't let us stay there. He puts us in these little pockets and then He puts us into different places. If He is a providential God and He is sovereign, guess who puts us where we are at? It's God who does that. And you can say, oh, that's rather disturbing. He is in control of all things. Well, once you start learning more who He is, it's actually very comfortable, even in uncomfortable situations, because you know He's controlling. And He has things best in mind for what is best for us. So that that is good, right? But uh, yes, sometimes there are undesirable places that we are at, and uh, we get this undesirable feeling, and yet... We know that God is taking care of us. We talked about that last week. And the deep things of God. We are going to go into very deep things of God where a lot of people don't like to go. The reason is, is that we are going to be in the book of Romans today. And we're going to be in Romans 9. The title of this is The Sovereignty of God and Our Evangelism, How the Doctrine of election helps us to relate to the lost people. <laughs> That's a long title. Trying to learn some lessons from the Puritans. So my titles will might get very long and then might take up your whole bulletin. <laughs> uh, Romans 9 it has been said to be the fullest, most forthright, the most blunt sections or section about the freedom of God and God's sovereign grace than any other parts of the Bible. This is the most supreme about the sovereignty of God. And uh, when you say statements that are brought forth in Romans 9, they can be disturbing. If you haven't really read it before or heard it, people are shocked. A lot of times people will not do Romans 9. They, they might do Romans 8. I would dare say they would do Romans 9. They would like to avoid it. They'll skip it or just uh, take a few passages and move right on to the next chapter. And I kid you not, one time I was uh, teaching on Romans, the book of Romans, and I think it was supposed to have been done in three weeks, and I think I wound up doing it in two weeks. Um, <clears throat> so needless to say... We went through that very rapidly and we cut off with 16 chapters. So I covered eight chapters in, in, in one teaching session at this one church. And uh, the next section was 9 through 16. And of course, the pastor came in the store that day, you know, and he just happened to be in. He's a real good biblical man, he really was. Um, and uh, he hid by Makatha study Bibles. <laughs> Makatha. <laughs> He's a good friend of mine. Thanks, Ray. Um, but that's what he would give to the ones that he would baptize. And uh, so, you know, I don't know how many he bought. He bought more than anybody I ever knew. Um, but he said, oh, you're in Romans. You start in Romans 9 tonight, don't you? 
and he said, ooh, that one section is pretty tough. And I don't know whether he was kidding or whether he was saying, you know, maybe you might just kind of want to move through that pretty quick. It's kind of what he was saying because he didn't know how the people would handle it. Well, I'm one who can't skip. <laughs> it's hard for me to skip passages. I remember the Life and Work series and the Sunday School material that was done in the Southern Baptist. And anytime they get it to any kind of controversial passage, you know what they do? Snip it. You don't cover that. You move right on. It wasn't there. It wasn't there in the lesson. They, you know, and they'd say, well, we're not verse by verse. But they'd cover all the chapters, but they really wouldn't have the key verses and they wouldn't have it written down. I kid you not. Uh, I don't know how many times we go into things like that, and then the next thing you know, I, I couldn't, I can't skip. I just can't do that. Not to be rebellious. It's there. Why are we not covering it? If it's controversial, then we're going to be snipping out most of the Bible. <laughs> you know, what, what do you term as what, what, uh, what is something we need to teach and other things we need not to teach? Romans 9 is one of those chapters, probably one of the most controversial. I have to teach it the way it is. I have to be accountable to my God who wrote this. Either that or it is not inspired and it's no good. If that's the case, then how do we know what's inspired and what's not, right? We run into all sorts of troubles. Let's read a few of those statements that are quite uh, overwhelming to people who are reading it first time. In Romans 9, i just skip a few verses here. We'll get to the chapter as we go on. Uh, but not only this, but there was Rebecca also when she had received twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand. Not because of works, but because of Him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Verse 16. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Talking about salvation. It depends upon Him. Verse 18. Uh, Well, let's read 17. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Here we go. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Wow, it's getting really tough now. We move on, and we see... um, Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? You don't have any uh, reason to be able to question God on that. The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Can he do that? What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And He did so to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy, which He prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom He also called, not from among Jews only, but from also Gentiles. Those are the kind of statements that I'm talking about. Those are hard. 
People are shocked when they hear them. This is about the majesty. It's about the freedom of God to be able to do whatever He wants when He wants. He is sovereign and He will do it at any time. Why is this here? Why is Romans 9 here? Why is it like this? Why is it in this place in Romans? Why is it in this particular position? These words are not to undermine evangelism. Bob, I liked your prayer this morning that we'd be bold in being able to take the gospel or be able to share Jesus Christ whenever the opportunity arises. And we are for that. You can say, well, you just read these sovereign verses, then uh, we don't do anything. Why bother, right? God's going to save them. We sing those songs, Jesus saves. Our God saves. It's Him who does it. We don't have the power to do that. But He uses people. He uses us as tools. He chose to do that way, to bring the Word of God to them. He could go zap, boom, or save just like that. But no, He brings people to us. So we bring ourselves to people as the Lord brings us there. Uh, this is an inspired passage. It's profitable. This passage, this chapter 9 is profitable. Why aren't people teaching it? Because they're afraid people will start questioning and go, whoa, what is it? this means this. Well, maybe that's good. Uh, this passage is for correction. It's for training in righteousness. It's for reproof. Remember that in Timothy? All Scripture is inspired and it's for those kind of things. So Romans 9 is here today for us that we could advance the kingdom of God and that we would be fruitful in our efforts to make Christ famous, to make Him known. And when we grab this doctrine, it should make us even more so reach the lost. If Romans 9 is rightly understood, more people would be white hot for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why is it here? Why does Paul take us into these weighty matters that our mind ultimately cannot fathom? We get up to a certain point. We're talking about sovereignty of God and evangelism. We're talking about sovereignty of God and and prayer. How do you put those together? Sovereignty of God and and us witnessing to people. Uh, God's in control. And He does everything that He wants. And He does it in His time. And He weaves the patterns. And we looked at that last week. Boy, does that ever lift God up. Lord, I lift Your name on high. When we talk about these weighty matters, high, deep, wide doctrines, these are incredible thoughts on God. Most people don't go there because they say people can't understand it. Well, that is limiting the mind that God gave us. These little minds, they pick up more things. These little guys that were here this morning we just spoke to and who, who uh, Zach is, is giving, giving great depths to them. Did you know they learn more every day than we as adults learn? Their minds are picking up great things. Why would we want to limit them? And that's why the people like the Puritans were able to speak Greek and Hebrew when they were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. They were teaching it to them. They were reading it and writing that. And uh, my, our minds should be stretched. But uh, here's what the world has done. They try to dumb us down. They put us into public schools and tell us what they can't learn and what they can. And then they bring in the world's thoughts and usually fill their mind with that kind of stuff. 
man, I'll, I'll tell you, we're only here for a couple of hours, and we need all the depth we can get because we're out into out in a world that uh, is constantly barraging us with temptation and sin and stuff we don't even like to hear and, and see and whatever. So the weighty matters of election and the sovereignty of God and the freedom of God, that's free will, God's free will, predestination, those are biblical terms. Why does He go here? That's our main question today. Why here in Romans 9? You don't see chapters like this. You see the illustrations. We talked about that last week. You see them in the Old Testament. You see them in the New Testament. It's God working in front of the scenes, in the scenes, behind the scenes, before the scenes. He's doing it all. He's working all this out. And so why would we question Romans 9? In, in view of this main question, what effect does Romans 9 have in relation to us as we relate to lost people? How can I identify with this Romans 9 and then desire to go witness to people, to share the Gospel? How, how does that relate? Well, I want to tell you, Romans chapters 1-8 through 8 are some of the most significant, amazing, most important chapters in all of the Bible. Romans 1-8, through 8, and you get up to the crescendo in chapter 8. It's like a gleaming diamond. Just shining. It's beautiful. You want to be looking at yourself as far as Christ's esteem? Look in Romans 8. Romans 8-1 says what? Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And then you look at how Romans 8 just builds up. You look at those promises. What a great chapter in the Bible. I think it's spectacular. The promises are all there. People are not scared to read Romans 8. We're going to walk through it real quickly. We just started with Romans 8 1. Of course, we sang that in verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are set free, taken out of the bondage. We're free. Don't you like that? What a great place to start in chapter 8. Uh, oh, let's, uh, let's look at verse 15. We can read this whole thing, but uh, got to move on. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Abba, Daddy, Intimate. We're sons. We're in the family of God. I mean, are you are you amazed by that? Wow, what a, these are promises, folks. These are real. This is God speaking to us right now. Do you need these verses? This is gospel. For I consider, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time, you can say, well, if I'm a son of God, why do I have bad things happen to me? Well, because there's sin in this world, and there's sin in the flesh and the world of the devil. And we battle, we war, we struggle, we're victorious. Sometimes we've been defeated and we sin. And sometimes we just suffer. It's hard. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So if you think it's hard right now, just start putting your mind on the heavens. We're seated in the heavens. Think about what is to come. The glory that is there. And there will be no sufferings, no sorrow, no tears. 
nothing negative. It's all positive. That's positive mental attitude, isn't it? <laughs> That's the right one. Look in verse 21. Let's keep building it up. That the creation itself also will be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. No more weeds pulling those babies out in the springtime. You've got nice, beautiful blue or grass and flowers coming out. Guess what else is coming out? Well, that stuff's going to be gone. It's going to be all the beauty, the glory of uh, those flowers and colors and everything. Verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Everything. All things. That was our key verse last week, wasn't it? To those who are called. To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. It's all about Him. And then we get into for those whom He foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn, the preeminent One among many brethren. That He would be glorified. That Christ would be glorified. If we're like Christ, guess who gets the glory? Christ does as we are like Him. He's working on us now. We're getting there, but there will be glory one day. And these whom He predestined, he also called in time. Predestined before the foundation of the world. It happened before you could even do anything. And then in this world, He came and He called you out of the darkness, as Peter says. And these whom He called, the ones that He called to Him, He also justified. That means to be declared righteous before God. You're not, but He says, you are before Me. And those whom He justified, He glorified. And it's just as good as done. As far as God is concerned, who is not bound by time, we have been glorified. That's past tense. Now, does that set you free? (laughs) You had any bondage this morning? Think about all those passages. And then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Well, the world is against us, uh, the flesh, the devil, but really, they're really not ultimately. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us, for us, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? We are heirs. Heirs of the promise. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? So there's that word. You can say, Dennis, man, you're really pressing this. You're using predestination and election and, and uh, all those big words. And can you do that? Can we talk about this here? Or should This sounds like this is really something really kind of eerie. Well, it's right here, folks. It's in the Bible. It must be good. We must deal with it. Most people don't want to deal with it. I want to deal with this. And it shows you that if you're God's, if you belong to Him, you belong to Him for eternity. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Well, Satan likes to condemn you, but all you have to do is remind him of Christ's righteousness. That Christ is righteous and that it, that's been put on us. As a matter of fact, that uh, one title that you had in your bulletin right at the top, uh, George Whitfield, did you see that one? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Right now, that's what He's doing. He justified us right now. He's keeping us in that position because He's what? Interceding for us because He is the great high priest. Can you lose your salvation if you want to turn against God just by yourself? Can you do that? If you can say, I made up my mind and I don't want God anymore. 
Well, if you're saying that, probably you never did belong to Him anyway. Uh, but you say, well, I can turn against Him. I can make my choice on that. Well, if He's interceding for you, He will keep you from that happening. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And He goes to everything. Uh, whether it be high, low, middle, in between, stretch out everything. Stretch out all the boundaries and it goes into infinity. Will tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as written for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. Paul was suffering going through all that. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. What suffering it is, you can say, well, look at this. Look what I'm having to go through. Look at this. It's just horrible things. And uh, Paul said, hey, we were being put to death. It says, but in all things we overwhelmingly conquer. Nike. Nike. Matter of fact, it's over Nike. Over conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's because He did it, He is doing it, and He will continue to do it all the way through eternity. Now, that's a sovereign God, and I'm glad to have that kind of God, and I am not ashamed to mention it. Right here... Paul pours out Romans 9 on the heels of Romans 8. It concerns the freedom of God. I like that term. I'm going to start using that a lot more. What's the sovereignty of God? What's the freedom of God? How about God's free will? People would like it the other way around. Man has free will, and God just is there hoping that we will do, uh, that we'll come to Him, that we'll do His will. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It will eventually be done. At the same time, if you know His sovereignty, He's still working His will, isn't He, right now? The God of Israel just has embraced not only Israel, but the whole world. That's what Paul is preaching. It's gone to the Gentiles. He made a new covenant with people all over the world. Every tribe and tongue, every nation. Not everyone. Not the when you say all the world, he doesn't save everyone. It's a glorious consummation of our entire universe. All of it's totally dependent on the faithfulness of God, his integrity, his righteousness. He's a promise keeping God. He's the promise keeper. We break promises, but he's the promise keeper. And I will tell you, He will always do what He says. He is faithful. If God is not faithful, and that's what people were asking in Romans 9, well, God has turned against us, and He has not proved His covenant. He is not faithful. If He's not faithful, I want to tell you, what we just read, all those promises in Romans 8, are not anything. They are nothing Throw them out the door. The promises don't mean anything. You can't count on God. That's what people are saying. When, they, when you get into Romans 9, after Romans 8, as Paul takes it up, this is the issue. Israel, been God's chosen people, they rejected God's Messiah as a whole. They were cut off from Him. The Gentiles are flowing in mightily. So Israel says, we were God's covenant people. 
And we've lost that covenant. God's a covenant God. If He's a covenant God, He would be faithful and He would do it. They're saying He's not faithful to the covenant. That's really the challenge. That's the question. If He's not faithful, then we as Christians have no reason to believe in God, to believe that He will be faithful to us. Romans 8 falls to the ground along with Israel. This is the issue. Of course, people Israel's really saying, you know, time nine, ten, eleven said, well, What about us? Has God kicked us out of the plan forever now? No. You get to the end of Romans eleven, you say that God has a plan for not only us, but the people that he originally promised to, as they are in that too. And there are particular people. And this is how he's going to show his sovereignty in this. A proper interpretation of this will solve a lot of questions. Romans 9, 1 through 3, and we're going to have to go this rather rapidly because I spent more time on Romans 8 than I'm going to spend on Romans 9 today. But Romans 9 is the foundation for Romans 8. Because if God is sovereign and He is faithful, then Romans 8 then follows suit. Romans 9, 1 to 3, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow with unceasing grief in my heart. Sorrow, unceasing grief, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, damned, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Who's he talking about here? He's not talking about the church. He's talking about Israelites, Jewish people, according to flesh and blood. He says, I, if it were possible, I would be accursed, damned, sent to hell for the sake of them. That can't happen. It, it will not happen. But Paul shows how much care he has for them. Paul if possible, would do that. The kingdom has been taken away from them. And Paul says, here is what the deal is. And so we go to verse 4 and 5. Who are Israelites? To whom belongs the adoption of sons? Look at all the promises and benefits. The glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and temple service and the promises. That's not talking church. It's not talking Gentiles. It's the Jewish people. Keep this in context all the way through Romans 9, Romans 10, and Romans 11. Keep that in context and you won't have a problem interpreting what's going on. He's talking about them. They had these covenants. They had the law. Whose are the fathers and from whom the Christ, the Messiah, according to the flesh as He was here on earth walking in the body who was over all there's sovereignty isn't it? He's introducing sovereignty of God right there He's over all God bless forever Amen and He'd say okay that's it <laughs> Amen right? End of the prayer Well see there's did you see the benefits that Israel had as a nation? What Look what God gave them What does this mean? It says despite who they were as far as the blood being born as Israelites, Jewish people, uh, they don't trust Christ, they're going to hell. They're cursed. Has God's Word fallen? That's really where this is taking us. This is, this is what it says. Here's the objection. At first they say this, but it is not as though the Word of God has failed. See, that's really what verses 1 through 5 is dealing with. God failed. He had promises and look at the people. They rejected the Messiah. They don't want Him. 
They had all the benefits. They had as much promises as anybody could have. And Paul comes out and he says, no, he has not failed. And he, and he gives this objection. And uh, God's word has not fallen. The rest of Romans 9-11 through 11 covers this issue. Is the God of Romans 8 reliable? Is He reliable? Are those promises? Uh, are they for real? Can He keep His covenant? Will he, will he do what He says? And this is where Romans 9-11 through 11 comes in. Do you, do you see the connection with that? As you teach verse by verse, you see how verses and chapters are collected together. And even though I'm not doing uh, an expository book by book right now at this time, uh, we'll just let the Lord lead in this and we'll eventually get back to a book. But uh, context, you, you see what Romans 8 is and now, and now you see Romans 9. And uh, has God's Word failed? Well, to answer the question, no, in verse 6, this has to be defended. Right? God's Word has not failed. How does He do it? He gives three arguments. Three levels of arguments here. And I'll give you all three and then we'll come back and, and we'll go on each one. Uh, now, now we're moving. We're moving toward unconditional election. That's what Romans 9 is going into. And this is, this, this is going to answer what the, the Jews' questions were. And, and he's moving towards unconditional election. And he's enabling us to understand that doctrine helps Paul to relate to his lost people. His own flesh and blood. Doctrine for us. Great teaching. The heights and the depths and the width of it. Helps us to relate to the lost people that we know so well and love and really hurt for. This Romans 9 is going to help us. It's going to help us be better witnesses when we walk out of here today, folks. If you let Lord let the Lord lead here in what's going on. He's saying, number one, the Word of God has not fallen. It's not failed because the covenant was never intended for every ethnic Jew. It was not intended for everyone that was in the nation of Israel. Every man, woman, and child. <gasps> That's where we're going. I know this is above and beyond our thinking, but I cannot reject it. It's here. And we'll read it. <laughs> we are. We're treading. That's right. It is. That's a good way to put it. We are treading. And I have to be very careful here. This is holy ground. When we prayed that prayer this morning about it being in the holiness of God, these are holy things of God. We're treading. I have to be careful. But we want to take the Word for as much as we can get. Number two, the ones who are true, the faithful in the nation of Israel, the ones who are saved, it's not done by any human means whatsoever. It's the God of the promise. It's the God of the covenant. So he, he hasn't intended for all Jews to be saved. And the ones who are saved, it's not because they are really, really cool people. Because <laughs> all you have to do is read the Bible, read the Old Testament. They just weren't that cool. We see sinful people in there that 
like Samson. We, we, we started on a couple of weeks ago. He's one of them. <laughs> now, he's probably one of the worst examples, but he was an example. But it's a great example of God's grace. Number three, and we're going to try to cover all three of these. Before they were brought into being, they were unconditionally chosen. Before they could even make a decision, they were chosen. Wow, Paul, how can I argue that? How can I argue against that? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Paul believes you need to believe in unconditional election. You know what unconditional is? Not based on any conditions that we do. He elects based upon, I don't know. (laughs) He didn't based upon me because I was so lovely. I was going to be pretty cool. I was going to be okay and I, I would believe in him. He loved us before we loved him. And when I first heard this, it made me angry. Because I said, but, but, but I, I, I decided. Yeah, I did. But as R.C. Sproul says, but why did you decide you were dead? Romans 8 is our life. It's our life. Precious words of Romans 8 are standing there. We are rejoicing and just rejoicing over what God has done. And the depths of Romans 9, the foundation, supports the height of Romans 8 that towers all the way up into eternity. And Romans 9 holds it there. It's the foundation that goes as deep as the height goes. I've understood that trees have roots that go down and wide as big as that tree is that goes up. That is what holds it up. That is what is happening as far as our Romans 8. We don't see the Romans 9 and evidently people want to put dirt over it and cover it up. They don't want people to see what we've just read because they say, ooh, man, if you tell that to anybody, they're going to think that you have just gone over the edge. (laughs) We are. We're treading. But on His Word, the skyscraper that reaches heaven has a deep footing forever. It's found right here in Romans 9. We're going to get to it, Dennis. Oh, we kind of have a little bit. Okay, the answer to number one, the reason God has not failed in His faithfulness is because He never intended for every Jew to be the elect. He had an elect nation. Within that elect nation, He chose certain ones. Remember, he said it all the way through the Old Testament. I have a remnant. Says it all the way through. For every ethnic Israelite, he's not going to say. Not all of Israel. There are physical offspring. And there are children. The children are not of flesh, but of the promise. The word has not fallen because the promise was only for the children of promise. So the Jews are saying, hey, Paul, looks like God failed or what happened with the covenant. And he said, I just want you to know. Yeah, he chose the nation. But there were certain ones that he chose to be sons of God.
but it is not as though the word of God failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Do you see that? Verse, he's, so he's answering the Jews here. And now he gives another one, and here's our second one, the, the true... The the, 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 the the true Israelites are the ones in Israel who are the elect, who are the believers. And it's not by their doing, but it's by God's doing. And he gives an illustration, and everybody knows the illustration. Abraham, Abraham is promised a son by God's way. Abraham and Sarah wait and wait, and Abraham says, oh, I guess I better help God out a little bit here. And Sarah says, yes, I guess we better. Apparently I'm barren and it's, I'm too old, so you're going to have to go to the handmaiden. Does that create problems? It's created problems ever since. And we battle the Muslims today, mainly from the, uh, that, that Arab world. Look what it's resulted out of that. Abraham wanted Ishmael to be counted as seed. So he did something. He figured it out. I don't have an heir. I'll get one. He got an heir. And God said, no. It's through Israel that I'm going to do this. I'm going to build my kingdom not through human effort. I'm going to build it through Israel. So verse 7, Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendant, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, coming from the blood, uh, you know, that's handed on down descendancy, but the children of the promise are guarded as descendants or the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come. A year from now, I'm going to come back here and Sarah shall have a son. Sarah hears that, you know. She doesn't think God's listening. <laughs> She's like, like getting close to 90. This is why God is waiting so long. It's impossible. You can't. Have you ever seen a 90-year-old woman have a baby? I don't know. Somewhere, some, I'm sure somebody will say, oh yeah, back in these, uh, you know, the... the the year 325, there was a lady that was 92 years old and had a baby. I don't think so. Do you think so? I don't think so. God waited that long. And she never had a kid before. He'd say, well, what kind of God is that? That He would dry her up for all that time and wait till 90. She, could, she didn't have the joy you know, that she could have had whenever she had had the baby when she was 20 years old. Do you see God's plan, ultimately? Well, they didn't see that. But God tells him, he, uh, and by the way, he's quoting uh, Genesis 18.10 here and how the promise is going to work through uh, Israel. Uh, are, are, are you seeing those two? Are, are those coming together? It's not over our heads, right? I mean, he's making some great statements here. He says, okay, I'm going to come back. And, and, and guess what? Uh, it happened. <laughs> Abraham's 100. She's 90. And not only this, now he goes to another example and we have the third argument. God does it through His Word. He does it through His promises. Next year I'm showing up. You're going to have a baby because I said so. When God says it, He is going to do it. It will happen. It doesn't matter. That's what creates the children of God because He does it. 
Ishmael represents human ability. Isaac represents divine sovereignty. He wound up having to do it God's way even though he tried it his own way. You ever done that? You ever rushed ahead before God? So Israel was brought into being by God's work. They were unconditionally chosen before it happened. Now he uses Jacob and Esau. A third argument. Verse 10, not only this, but there was Rebekah also. When she had conceived twins, there's one thing, twins, by one man. So you have twins, you have the same parents. Our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, so he chose the twins who were from the same parents that God had put together. He chose them as heirs before they were born. Are we getting anywhere? He's making this statement to these Jewish people. And it sure clicks in our mind here too, doesn't it? Though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad. Doesn't have anything to do with their actions, what they're going to say, or anything. You can say, yeah, but he chose them because they had faith. Uh, You don't have faith before you're even in the womb. Yeah, Jeremiah, that's right. Uh, God formed him and he knew him. Wow. Huh. He does that elsewhere too. Uh, he did it with Paul too in the New Testament, just in case you're wondering why that's Old Testament stuff. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, God chose the younger too. The older will serve the younger. Just as written, Jacob I loved, Esau I, I hated. Why did God do it this way? Well, I didn't read it, and we're going to read it now. It's found in verse 11, 11b. Why did he choose them before they were ever even born? And they they couldn't even prove that they were going to be good or bad. So that are you ready for the so that? So that means this is the reason. Okay, this is the reason. So that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand. It's God's purpose. It's according to his choice, or your version might say election. Eclectos in the Greek. And you notice the word stand? Uh, they were asking, hasn't your word fallen? Your word, your word has failed. It's fallen. He says, no, it's my purpose because of my works. It's my purpose according to my election, and that will stand. It's not going to fall, it's going to stand. Do you see why he uses that? And verse right at the end, not because of works, not because of what you do, not because of what you say, not because of what you feel, but because of Him who calls. Is this clear? Why isn't this being preached today in the church? Well, you know exactly why. You say this to most people and they are going to get very irritated. Makes people mad. Don't want to lose people. People don't believe it. And therefore they say, I don't I don't really believe that. You don't believe the word of God, do you? 
If you don't believe the Word of God, then are you even saved? Now, I'm not saying people who don't believe that doctrine of predestination and election all believe in predestination. It's how much do they limit it? Election. Not on the basis of deeds. Did God see faith in the womb? And that's why He chose Isaac? No. I do what I do, God says, so that my choosing will stand and not fall, some would say about His Word. Stands not on the basis of effort, but on the basis of God's calling. Are you getting a big picture of this great God? Romans 9.15 For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I can do whatever I want because I'm sovereign. No, you can't do it that way, God. It's up to me. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. Why is this here? Paul leads us right into unconditional election and shows us that God's Word has not fallen. His Word created people for Himself. They are chosen unconditionally and God's Word cannot fail. Ultimately, it does not depend on us. Even though we are saved by grace through faith, He grants that to us. Fear not, Christians. Believe Romans 8. Believe that. Election is very important for your surety. For we are killed all day long, Paul says. But then he shows that there's nothing going to separate him from God. Unconditional election gives us confidence, gives us assurance, gives us surety. Aren't those precious words beyond anything that we can imagine? What effect does this truth, and we're sewing this up now, ready? I know it's a little bit late here because I started a little late. We're only, only 46 minutes into the message. This is the best part. This is where we're aiming. This is heavy stuff. I know it is. We're just reading Scripture. Uncondition- and we're going to use three things here, okay? We saw those three arguments. Unconditional election sustains Paul in his weeping anguish for lost people. Now we're taking it to the responsibility of man. God's sovereignty and evangelism. How do those two go together? How can you possibly link those together, Dennis? Man and God. If God's this big, then why pray? Why do anything? God's going to make sure everything comes to the end. Yeah, He is. At the same time, He's going to use you. Or if you're not doing what He says, He'll use somebody else. Do you want to be used? Paul is weeping over Jerusalem. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. In Romans 9, remember? I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart because I know people are headed to hell. Some of them are my family. Flesh and blood. The the whole nation. 
Romans 10.1 Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. I weep. My resting place is in God. Paul looks at lost individuals. He looks at Jews. And he realizes he was just like them, lost. He was headed to hell. And he was snatched right out of it. He didn't have a thing to do with it. Remember? Riding on that horse. He was going to go kill Christians. And God just snatched him out. Saved him. And made him the minister that he was. Why me? I don't know. (laughs) All I can do is say Ephesians 2.7 says that it's by grace that we're saved. And that not of works. It is the gift of God. He did it because He loved me. It was unconditional. Unconditional election destroys every sense of pride in your bones. It takes you down to the ground. Paul, when he discovered it, weeps for these lost souls. He knew there was nothing in him. He said there was nothing. It was by the grace of God. He says, I'm the least of all. The least of all the sinners. There's nothing in me. Think of the sea of people who are lost. They're heading right to hell. Do you care? We've got to work on this in prayer. We should weep because of this point. Paul's anguish was unceasing. How can we stand it when we know people are going to hell? Well, we can stand it because we find our resting places in God. Number two, unconditional election empowers Paul to plead to persuade, to almost like beg for those lost people. Mercy. Beg for mercy, right? We have to find a way to get through to them. How can I get to this person? God uses the means. We are the means to get there. And so it's coming up with different things. He uses humans in election. Election doesn't hinder human strategies. So however it is, if we can get on a person level, whether it be by the arts, music, entertainment, even a movie, if we can get through to a person through hunting, and fishing, and forestry, hiking, gardening, Working. (laughs) That's right. That takes up most of our time, doesn't it? If we can get through to them, think of a way. Lord, make a way for me. You're a God of providence. Make a way that I can get through to this person because I know they need you. I plead you to be reconciled to Jesus. You know, we are called to reconcile. Is that 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Do I have that right? Oh, I hope it is. Is 
He's talking about, therefore, we're new creatures, the old things pass away, the whole new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconcile them to God. They're enemies. And we are the ambassadors. We are the ministers. We're the servants that goes to them and speaks these words to connect them to God over here. And God is using us to do that as we use His Word by the power of His Spirit. We give it to them. And then it's up to God to save. We, we don't save them. But we do reconcile them. We tell them that they're enemies of God. And God is committing us this Word of reconciliation. Uh, tell them, I want you to be a part of my family. I really care for you. And here's what's in store for you. This is the truth. They might think you're nuts. I really do care. I want you to be a part of my family. Matter of fact, I've got a church for you. I've got a church of people who would really love to just be your brother and sister and just wrap their arms around you. Man, you need them. And they need you. We, we want you. Oh, a place that preaches the Word and sings praises to God and prays about God being sovereign. And these people really care about you. That's what God said to us. He said, I really care about you. You know, Tell them, I want you. I want you to be with me in eternity. And what I'm telling you, I'm excited because it's the truth. Number three, as we close on. It impels the earnestness. The sovereignty of God in election impels the earnestness of Paul's prayer for salvation. When we plead with God, we're pleading with the people, we're pleading with God even beforehand. And that, that Romans 10.1, again, Brethren, my heart's desire, here's what my true desire is, that my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And God's weaving all this together as He brings people to us. Most aren't going to listen. Most don't care. They don't want to hear it. And you just move on. But some might realize that softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. Calling for you, for me, to come home. Come, sinner. Come. Please come. You have eternity awaiting you. The Father awaits you with, with His arms open wide. We don't know what's going to happen with them. We don't know if they're elect or not. We don't have to worry about it. That's God's deal. And if they reject Him and decline Him and, and for the rest of eternity, that's what their responsibility was. And they reaped that. Come, sinner. God, would you make him, her, to see their need. And would you make a way? I've been with this person for five years now and they kind of know what I believe, but would you make it a way where I could just speak to them and tell them that they need to come to you and they need to see the holiness of God and that they would be changed? Well, the deep things of God leads to our responsibility there's our foundation, folks. And we can become much better in evangelism when we think of how God has this in control. And we don't fail. We don't have to feel guilty. 
but we should feel the call to take it to those lost people because they're waiting. Somebody's waiting. Somebody out there is elect and they need to hear this message and God's going to use you. What a privilege. Father, what a great God you are. You are sovereign. You are totally in control in everything from creation all the way to this predestination and election. All these deep things of you, God, thank you for giving us such treasures. For it gives us a foundation to stand on and we know our feelings go up and down and we feel this way and that way. And we're like ships being tossed about. But you, Lord, are the anchor. And thank you, because that anchor holds all the way into eternity. Thank you for this group of people that I've had to have the privilege of worshiping with this morning. And may your word now make an impact on our lives like it has not before. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the light of that, we commune with our sovereign God.